0: Guys, so I'm gonna paint a picture for you that I think most of you are gonna understand. All right, so most of you at some point have had a job. And some of you, no, I say most of you probably filled out an application for that job. Like you were, you were looking around, you're scrolling on Indeed or wherever you're looking for jobs, calling people, texting who you got, what's open, and you're, you did the search. And then you found the one or two or 20 that you're like, I'm gonna to apply to them. This is my dream job or it just pays money, so I need to apply. All right, and so you p- apply for the job, and you send it in, you, you, you send in the, 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 the form, and then you get a call to come in for an interview. And most of us in this room have walked in nervously into that interview, you're like, I don't know what this is gonna, am I gonna, what are they gonna ask? Am I gonna meet their standard? Are they gonna like me? Am I gonna like them? And it's an awkward, tension-filled moment and most of us have walked out of that same interview probably either feeling like, nailed it, they'll be calling me this afternoon. Or the opposite of like, there's no way they're hiring me. <laughs> totally bombed that one. Or maybe somewhere in between. But we've all walked in with hopes, walked out with hopes dash or hopes realized. And then you sit there waiting on your phone to get that email for maybe a second interview. Or maybe waiting just to get that confirmation of like, hey, you're the person, you're exactly what we're looking for. We're excited for you to join the team. And so you're watching your mail, you're watching your phone, you're watching your text messages, your email, and it's like it's it's gonna it's gonna happen. And then you get the job, and you text everybody, I got a job! I'm finally, you know, I've been praying, Lord, give me a new job, and you finally, it, it, the moment has happened. And so the, the first day arrives. You get up a little earlier. You brush your teeth a little harder. Right? You make sure everything is good. And you pull into the parking lot, and your heart is racing. Because you're about to enter in to the job you've been praying for, hoping for. They finally said, yes, you're who we want. And you have no idea what's going to happen on the other side of that door. But you walk in excited, nervous, with a little trepidation of what's about to happen, and then probably within the first day or two, you're gonna sit down in an office or around a conference table with other people who are first-time hires, and the HR person is gonna come in, they're gonna lay this big notebook on the table, they're gonna open it up, and you've got yours, you're gonna open it up, and they're gonna start walking you through what time you gotta be at work, what time you can leave for lunch. What time you need to be back for lunch? What time you can leave at the end of the day? What day you can wear jeans to work and which days you cannot wear jeans to work? What days you can take off and what days you cannot take off? Right, they start telling you the culture of this new workplace that you found yourself in. And it's exciting and new. And the reality of it is we've all probably been there at one level, whether it was McDonald's in high school or your career job right now. You've walked in and you've had to adjust. And so too, as you walk into a new company and you learn their culture, we need to know as Christians the culture of the kingdom of God. And so that's what this whole series is about. And tonight, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. Because the great thing about the culture of God is we don't have to earn God's favor to enter. There's no interview process. There's no resume. God knows your resume. And he's taking care of your resume on the cross. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest. Follow me. There is no earning God's favor. There's no earning entry. Because in God's kingdom, it's designed for human flourishing. And he says, come on. I'm not here to restrict you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm here to help you flourish the way that I made you to live, set free from sin, and to run hard after the things that are good. Namely himself. And in order to flourish, we need to know the culture of the kingdom of God. So tonight we're going to begin by looking at what life in the kingdom of God actually looks like. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, what the life in the kingdom of God looks like. For the last chapter of Colossians chapter one, we've been talking, or I say we, Paul, has been writing this letter and been talking about all the 30,000 foot view stuff, right? He's been talking about the, the transfer of kingdoms from dominion of darkness to the dominion of his beloved son, and then last week, like Jason talked about, we, we talked about who is this king of this kingdom? And hopefully we heard or experienced for the first time the awe of Jesus. And now, Paul is about to turn a corner, and he's about to go from the, the, the big stuff to the details. So in chapter two of Colossians, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And we're gonna start, from this point forward, from from chapter two, three, and four, it's all gonna be the details of the kingdom culture of Christ. And if you are new or you haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick recap of what's going on. Paul's in prison in Rome. He's writing a letter to the church in Colossae. They have never met Paul, but they've met a papyrus. but a Papyrus heard the gospel from Paul in the city of Ephesus, and he took the gospel back to his hometown, started a church, and now they're thriving in their new faith. Yet they, but they've come up against resistance. They've come up against the pagan worship of, of the area. They've come up against Roman rule. They've come up against uh, and we'll get into this in the next week, probably next week is uh, just some of the philosophies of the day that are trying to add to Christ, that are trying to diminish Christ, that are trying to take the gospel that Paul taught them and twist it. And so Paul's writing them a letter to encourage them. He prays for them, he reminds them who they are. But Paul is gonna, like I said, turn a corner and he's gonna say, all right, now, now that I've encouraged you, now that I've prayed for your endurance, now that I've reminded you who your king is, now let's get into the weeds. How do we continue in our faith, in the face of opposition? What do we do? So, Colossians chapter two, we're only gonna cover two verses tonight. Yep. We covered two, a whole chapter in two weeks and now we're gonna slow it down and do two, two verses. We're gonna be in verse six and seven. So follow me along here. It's not gonna be a long read, here we go. Paul writes, therefore, right? When you see the words therefore, you need to ask what's it there for? And I just told you, we just went through chapter one, all the things happened. He said, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. That's it. This is all we're gonna cover tonight. And it's gonna be good. I, I'm... I never knew two verses could be so challenging until I started working on this last week. My first point tonight is this, the kingdom life is remembering your receiving. That's what Paul starts with. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. All right, the kingdom life begins with remembering your receiving. Paul's telling them, let's let's go back for a minute. Let's, Let's ignore what's happening right now the, the, the controversies, the, the, uh, the challenges that you're coming across in your faith. Now let's remember when you receive Christ. And tonight what I wanna do is I'm gonna pick, a, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna pick out a lot of words. And we're gonna define those words of what Paul's actually saying here. The first one is he says, therefore as you received. That word received in the original Greek means to take, uh, to, take to, to join to oneself. To accept or acknowledge one to be such as he professes to be. And I love this one. To receive means not to reject. Not to withhold obedience. So what he's saying is you have received Christ as your Lord. You have not withheld obedience. You have become one with Christ. All right, He's defining and reminding them the commitment that they have made. And then the next thing he says is, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. When we're reading scripture, we need to stop for a minute sometimes and look at a word that we talk about, sing about, discuss all the time. It's the word Lord right here. Because guys, let's be honest. We love Jesus Savior. We love Savior Jesus. Like that feels good. It's like, oh, yes, I've been rescued. Because let's be honest, almost every single movie out there, you can find a gospel story of some sort of rescue. Like with my kids, we watch movies. And I'm like, where did you see Jesus in this movie? And they, they look in the movie and they're like, all right, so so-and-so is lost. And so-and-so, like he gave every, his whole life away to go find this person. And I'm like, yep, yeah, there's the gospel. It's in almost every Disney movie, by the way. <laughs> and so we love the story. Like the greatest story of all time filters into every other story. We love the savior part of Jesus, but the Lord part, that's a little tougher. Because here's what this word means. Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master, Lord, the possessor, and the one who has control of the person, master. That's the part of our faith that we don't like as Americans because it tramples all over our rights. Our rights to make decisions. Our rights to do what we wanna do, when we wanna do it. But Paul is reminding them that they have received Christ not just as savior, but as Lord. He has decision-making power. That is the king of the kingdom of God. He has decision-making power. I do a lot of marriage counseling um, since I became the Young Adult Pastor. I think I've done probably about 30 weddings in the last four years. And when I meet with couples, one of the first things we do is I want, I want to hear their story. I want to hear their dating story, their romance story, like, how'd you meet? You know, because I want to be really good at their wedding and make it feel, you know, like their wedding. But the other question I ask is, tell me about your faith. And I get to hear really cool stories. But there was one time where I, my heart just broke. My heart broke. It was a guy I had known for a long, long time. I was excited to do their wedding. And I said, tell me about your faith. And he said, well, I committed to the lifestyle when I was in high school. And he continued to tell the story. And I, could, I didn't listen to the rest of the story. It's like you committed to a lifestyle. And my, my heart just sunk. Because he had not received Jesus Christ as Lord. That's not what he had done. You see, receiving Christ is not committing your lifestyle, it's submitting your life. It's not committing to a a morally good lifestyle. It's not committing to doing the, the programs that make you a good person that everyone thinks you should do because you grew up in a family of faith and you're like, I need to do these things. That's a lifestyle. And that's not what Jesus came for. He is king. Let me say that again. Receiving Christ, truly receiving Christ is not committing your lifestyle, it's submitting your life. The kingdom life begins by remembering the commitment we've made to be submitted to Jesus. And so remembering your receiving is step one, according to Paul. Number two, kingdom life is walking in Him. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. Stop. What does walk mean? I was interested. The Greek word is peripateo. It says to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. The Hebrew is the same word to live and to regulate one's life. So, this walking idea is a movement. Paul is telling the Colossians to live, mature, grow up in Christ, grow in your faith one of the main problems I have with the American uh, way of doing church, of like, hey, why don't you say a quick prayer, let's get some fire insurance, and then you just go do whatever you want. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, walk in him. And then that phrase, in him, it always catches my eye. We're going to see it again all throughout this book, but it says, walk in him. Did you know the most common New Testament reference to those who believe in Christ is not Christians? It's in him, in Christ, you are. That's what they're referred to as. We're, we're, it's, a, it's a united, a union with Christ. And this is not an isolated incident. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes another letter comparing the union with Christ to that of a man and wife becoming one flesh. But he says, with us in Christ, we are one spirit. There's an intimacy here between the believer in Christ. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus is the vine. We're organically connected to Jesus when we live in his kingdom and have trusted our life with him, meaning we are getting all the nutrients and the life from him. We're connected. And earlier in Colossians 1 and again in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about Jesus being the head of the church and we are the body. I don't know about you but my head determines what my body does. It has decision-making rights. You see, for the Christian, this is not optional. A union with Christ is not optional. It's the only way to be a Christian is to be one with Christ in purpose, attitude, and identity. So Paul is saying, man, walk in him. Progress, mature, grow, intimately connected with Jesus. I love how Jesus invites his disciples. He says, follow me. It's it's an invitation to action. It's not an invitation to be stagnant and just watch. He's like, follow me. And so one of the things I did way back is I, I, I looked into what the disciples would have heard. How would they have heard that invitation or that command, follow me? Well, all the disciples were young Jewish men. And in those days when you were about six or seven years old, you would begin as a young boy memorizing the first four books of the Old Testament word for word. Now, I don't know how many teachers we got in here. That sounds like a miserable job to be the one teaching a six-year-old how to memorize word for word the Old Testament. But that's what they did. And they trained themselves in the traditions and the texts of the Jewish faith, the Old Testament. And when they turned 16, They kind of graduate from that school. And now they go and they pursue a rabbi to apprentice under. And that apprentice, they would kind of throw out their resume like, hey, I would like to follow you. You know, I would like to learn your ways. And, And what the apprentice would say is, follow me. And all of a sudden, that young man would then follow that rabbi. And one of the cool things about this time in history is as the boy would go to live and travel and learn underneath this rabbi, the blessing that the mothers and the fathers would say over these young men is, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. And the heart of this is that you would follow your rabbi so closely that when he walks, the dust catches your clothes. And this is the same idea, walk in him. Walk so closely with Christ. Be so intimately connected to who he is and what he's about that your life would have the dust of Jesus on you. That as you went to work and you dated and you went to hang out on the weekends, as you met with your family and did an interview, people would just be like, there's something weird about you. You're different, it's the dust of Jesus because you're walking in him. You see, to walk in Christ is to daily recognize our need and dependence on Jesus as we progress to become like him. Number three is also in verse seven, he continues. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Number, my my third point is being grounded in him. Kingdom life is being grounded in him. Paul does a weird thing here. He gives two metaphors, rooted and built up. One is organic and one is more tangible. Wood, blocks, bricks. And so, of course, what I do? I stopped and I'm like, what, is, what does a root do? And a root does two specific things for a plant or a tree or whatever, a bush, shrubbery, whatever you want. It does two things. One it solidifies the foundation. So that when the winds come and the rain hits, it isn't ripped out of the ground. So it builds a firm foundation. It fixes, it strengthens. But the second thing that it does is it acts like a straw absorbing water and minerals from the soil. Tiny, you've seen them, tiny little root hairs stick out of the root, helping the absorption process. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, be rooted in Christ, not just for a firm foundation, but to absorb from him your purpose, your identity, your direction, his will, absorb. Don't just like lock down and be like, no one's touching me. Like you cannot move me. I know Jesus, right? Right? It is that, yes, be firm in your faith, be fixed in your faith, but don't give up the side of like, but I, but I wanna absorb. I wanna read God's word and absorb it, that it would nut- it'd be my nutrients, that God's word and the words of Jesus would actually get me stronger on the inside and he would renew and transform my soul. This reminded me of Psalm chapter one where King David writes, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water who bears fruit. Here's the deal. What you root yourself in matters. What you are fixed in matters. What you are drawing life from matters. What you allow in here and in here matters. Like many of you, I went to high school. And I was a student, but I was not a great student. <laughs> I was that guy that would go to class. I would do my work just enough to be eligible for the game. That was kind of my mentality. And as soon as I took the test or wrote the paper, I clicked the mental delete button and forgot everything. I didn't need it. I needed it to do that. And so I used it. I was a student, but I was not a student. Does that make sense? Like I went, but I wasn't a student. But that changed for me. It changed for my junior year of college. It took that long to become a real student academically. But here's what changed. I found something that I loved. And I found something, I'm like, I'm gonna do this. So I I, I wanna know this. And so from that point forward, I studied different. I took tests different. I wrote papers different. You see, something changed, and so all of a sudden, this mattered. And what I'm telling you right here is what Paul is saying, be rooted, built up, because it matters what you're rooted in. And you may not even know what you're rooted in, but I guarantee you are, and we'll get to that here in a second. But the second phrase here is built up. Be rooted and built up in him. This is the second image. You see, whatever you're grounded in is what is going to build in your life. Whatever you're drawing nutrients from will produce fruit in your life. Good, bad, or toxic. It will. Just like in Psalm 1. The person that is the tree is planted by streams of water will yield fruit in its season. The question that we have to answer is, what are we rooted in? Are we rooted in the things of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, or we putting our roots down in things that are actually unhealthy and toxic and it's bearing toxic fruit and unhealthy fruit and here's the here's the scary part is that fruit will not just affect you it'll affect everyone around you that you have a relationship with and so it matters where you're rooted it matters whatever you're grounded in, you will produce that that fruit in your life. Paul is writing to tell them the kingdom of life is is grounding yourself in Christ, absorbing the teaching of Christ that the fruit of your life would look, sound, and feel like Jesus. Number four, he continues. He says, be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Number four, kingdom life is marked by abounding gratitude. Kingdom life is marked by abounding gratitude. You see, the result of remembering when you received Christ and why you received Christ, why you surrendered and submitted to his lordship, why you gave him decision rights in your life, Right? That when, when we walk with Him, when we're rooted in Christ, when we're building a life in Christ, you can't get away from Jesus. and you can't get away from remembering the goodness of God on your behalf. It doesn't matter if you've had the worst day or the best day or a mediocre day, a valley of the shadow of death day, it doesn't matter. Because when we're rooted in Christ, everything gets real clear and you see the goodness of God on your behalf. I'm not saying you gotta walk around with some cheesy smile on your face, because you know life can be tough. I know that, I've been through seasons. But at the end of the day, I know God, I know he is good, and I know he is with me and for me. The cross of Christ tells me that. He tells me that he's for me, look at the cross. And the only response when we live a life of walking in him, being rooted in him, building up in him, is thanksgiving. Kingdom attitude is gratitude. The kingdom of Jesus is not one of complaining and groaning, it's of gratitude. So kingdom life is one remembering you're receiving, walking in him, being grounded in him and marked by abounding gratitude. So what do we do with this? I got four questions that I wanna pose for you tonight. Because as I read this, these, these are just the questions that pop into my head. There's nothing special about them, they're just Andy's head, okay? but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's got a question here for you. Number one, have you received Christ as Lord? Have you received Christ as Lord? Not just Savior, not just your friend, but as Lord. Has there ever been a submission commitment? Or just a lifestyle? Maybe the next question that kind of goes along with that, thats not. this is not on the screen, but to what or whom are you submitted? What do you submit to? Because guys, we do it. So what are you submitted to? Number two, what or whose dust are you covered in? What are you following so closely? What are you so obsessed with that wherever you go and whoever you talk to, they can see it, they can feel it, because it's so close. And you know what this usually is? If it's not Jesus, it's an idol. It's something that we want Jesus to do for us. We don't really want Jesus, we want this. Just like in high school, I didn't want school I did school so I could play in the game and have friends and meet a girlfriend. That's what I did with school. And so we have to ask ourselves, what or whose dust are you covered in? Right, maybe it's the comparison game of social media. And it's the anxiety that you feel whenever you open it and scroll through and realize I don't have anybody. Or I don't make that much money, I can't do that. I didn't get to go to that. Maybe it's pornography for you and you're covered in the dust of pornography and you can't look at the opposite sex without seeing them as a sexual object because you have been covered by the dust of it. You followed it so closely and looked at it so consistently that it just covers you. I'm telling you, Jesus is ready to set you free and clean you off. You don't need to get cleaned up. That's his job. To whose dust are you covered in? Number three, what are you rooting yourself in? What are you rooted in? And what is being built up in your life because of it? Where are you drawing nutrients from? When you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're frustrated, when the anxiety comes over you, where do you dig your roots to get the sustenance and the nutrients to move forward? And then what's building in your life? I'll tell you what, if if your answer to this is pornography, if it's anxiety, if it's like, that's what's building in my life, it's out of control. Turn, repent and turn back to Jesus and start digging roots there and let that plant die. Replant, dig up your roots and replant. And then lastly, number four, what is the resulting attitude in your life? From what you walk in, what you're rooted in, what's the attitude of your life? What has resulted? Is it an attitude of bitterness? Is it an attitude of anger? Like every every little thing just lights you up. Like that's an attitude of bitterness and anger, frustration. Guys, reverse engineer that emotion. Like doubt that emotion, say, where's that coming from? Why is every day, why do I feel bitter and angry when I see someone else's post that they get what I don't have yet? I'm angry and jealous instead of celebratory for them. What is that? Reverse engineer, dissect it and diagnose. And this is where community comes in. Because a lot of times, we're not self-aware enough to diagnose. I've had friends in my life to say, Andy, you tend to be pretty negative. Like I'm that glass half empty guy, I call it being practical, right? But here's what it is, it, it, it's from a fear that something may not happen. And so I get negative about it. I see what's not there instead of what is there because I'm fearful. So have you received Christ as Lord? What or whose dust are you covered in? What are you rooting yourself in and what is the resulting attitude in your life? Guys, I hope that Paul's words tonight have been an encouragement to you of what the kingdom of Jesus looks like, what a life following Jesus looks like. Don't ever forget the moment you receive Christ and why you receive Christ as Lord. Pursue him and watch him build something in your life that you could never imagine on your own. He'll set you free from sin. He'll clean you off. And he'll say, follow me. And I will show you how to flourish. That's Jesus. Because he's, he's reconciling all things to himself. We read that last week. He's reconciling all things, including you and including me, including this world. So we're gonna go to 120 seconds. Now we're gonna leave these questions on the screen as always. And I would just encourage you to take a minute and just go to the Lord with these questions. Because I'm hoping that one of these struck a chord. You're like, ooh, that's a little too close, Andy. I'm hoping for that. And you ask the Holy Spirit to do some work. Our prayer team is in the back. If you need somebody to pray with you over any of this stuff, don't, don't let your pride stop someone from praying for you. Don't let the the embarrassment of getting up and walking to the back and thinking, oh, everybody's going to get prayed for. Yes, that's what we're here for. So let them pray for you. Let them pray over you. Let them pray with you. Don't leave here as burdened as you came. Maybe this is the first step in rooting yourself in Jesus. So we're going to do 120 seconds and then we're going to worship some more because that is the only response we have to the goodness of God. Let me pray. God, I wanna thank you for this night. God, thank you for your word and thank you for Paul. God, who in prison in Rome is writing a letter of encouragement. I feel like the roles should be reversed. The church in Colossae should be writing him to encourage him. But God, I pray that these words of Paul would not just be words in your book, but they would be life-giving and encouraging to us tonight 2000 years later that they would ring true for someone tonight God that we would respond in obedience to the grace of the cross of Jesus I praise you in your name amen